Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Play is the Thing, where two theater nerds talk about what theater's greatest playwright said about theater in theater's most famous play. And we're going to discuss it with some of theater's coolest people. I'm Alisheva. I'm Sarit, and we are diving into Hamlet to explore the dialogue between actor, director, character, and theater itself. We want to unpack the meta-theatrical elements that hold the mirror up to nature, both within the play and outside it, and try to get a better understanding of what they tell us about theater and about ourselves. We are really excited to have on the show a really special guest, Nat Cassidy. Nat is an award-winning actor, writer, and musician based in NYC. As an actor, he has guest starred on shows such as The Good Fight, Blue Bloods, Bull, Quantico, The Following, The Affair, Red Oaks, High Maintenance, Law & Order SVU, The Elisa Schlesinger Sketch Show, and he has appeared on stage in numerous productions and workshops, both off and off-off-Broadway. He's the author of award-winning plays such as The Temple or Lebensraum, Any Day Now, Tenants, The Reckoning of Kit and Little Boots, The Demon Hunter, I Am Providence, Pierce, Old Familiar Faces, Goldsboro, and many others, which have been produced and developed across the country and published by Samuel French, Broadway Play Publishing, Smith & Krauss, NYTE, and Applause Books. In New York, his plays have been nominated for a combined total of 17 New York Innovative Theater Awards including three times for Outstanding Full-Length Script, which he won in 2009, and in 2011 for Outstanding Solar Performance for his one-man show about H.P. Lovecraft. And he was commissioned by the Kennedy Center to write the libretto for a world premiere opera. He wrote the novelization of the hit podcast, Steal the Stars, which was published by Tor Books in 2017, and which NPR included among the best books of that year. He's also signed a two-book deal with Tor's horror imprint, Nightfire, with the first original horror novel, Mary, coming in 2022. Now for a little bit of more Hamlet-specific information, um, Nat has been in four full productions of Hamlet, three times as the title ro role and once as Claudius. Um, and we'll talk more about this later, but one of them was Patrice's, um, who we actually also interviewed. Um, but just to get started um, with, we're just wondering how you got uh, interested or like into Shakespeare. Were you younger? Was it, you know, when you were got a little older? Just if you could fill us in on that kind of history piece. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you again for having me on, by the way. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for coming. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for giving you the long version of my bio, too. I should have given you a, a much more digestible one. Uh, but uh, so I've been a... Uh, uh, a Shakespeare just utter nerd since I was probably six years old. Wow. Uh, and wow. I got into, yeah, I got into it young uh, because I was, uh, I was not the most manageable child. I was uh, <laughs> a, a, a big pain, uh, one could say. Uh, and it was very hard to, to control me and calm me down. And I had a first grade teacher named Mrs. Shapiro uh, and she and I were just absolute nemeses. We hated <laughs> each other. Uh, and uh, one of the 
she she tried all sorts of disciplinary things. I used to I I didn't have my own desk until like sixth grade because teachers would have to like sit me at their desk. Wow, do nefarious things in the back of the classroom. Uh, and she kind of started that uh, that phenomenon. But uh, she also uh, she was this little you know five hundred year old woman uh, with like a blue beehive, uh, and uh, I believe she was. Greek and she like from Greece and she would go to Greece uh, every year uh, to visit family and stuff like that. And she was showing us slides from her, her trips to Greece. Uh, and one of the slides was of an amphitheater and uh, she was uh, telling us about the show. She saw, and it makes me laugh because again, we are like six years old. This is a class of like first graders, uh, but she starts telling us about a production of Macbeth that she saw. Uh, and to her credit, she noticed how I stopped lighting fires and like kind of perked up and started paying attention when she discussed a little bit the uh, first grade appropriate uh, summary of Macbeth. So she was talking about kings and witches and murder and stuff like that. And I was like, go on. <laughs> uh, and so she... Uh, well, she yeah, I mean, Mac Macbeth is every little kid's dream. Right? It totally is. <laughs> it really uh, is. Disembodied heads and, yes. and I mean, magic you say it like potions. That, yeah. and... <laughs> <laughs> it certainly worked for me because she uh, she basically dared me to try and read Macbeth uh, as a first grader uh, to see if that would calm me down. Uh, and it took pretty much that entire year. Uh, and I had to get out with my mom. And I uh, also started reading like the the Charles and Mary Lamb, Tales from Shakespeare, you know, for kids kind of digest book uh, and all these things. But it was like my year long project to read Macbeth just to spite this teacher that I hated because she didn't think I could do it. Uh, and I was also a kid actor at the time. I'd been acting since I was like five or something like that. Wow. Uh, you know, a whole year before. <laughs> uh, and uh, six a year is a long time. Right. Yeah, that was that was true. 20% of my life. At that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I was an old pro. And uh, yeah, just kind of from that age, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, set set myself on this path of I want to do classical theater. I want to I'm going to do Shakespeare for my life. Uh, and uh, that delirium lasted into my 20s, even. Uh, uh, that was, that was kind of, I've always been on like two career paths as my, uh, overlong bio probably, uh, uh, uh suggests like a, the acting and the writing path and, and, and the acting path that was, it was dedicated to Shakespeare for a very, very, very long time. Uh, cause it's always just been a big obsession of mine as a writer too. Cause I'm, I consider myself a, a horror writer. Uh, first and foremost, and I consider Shakespeare. Well, then Macbeth is probably yeah. on exactly. the pedestal Hamlet for you. Is, Hamlet's a ghost yeah. story. Like, yeah, uh, right, exactly. Yeah, so he's one of us. <laughs> that's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Shakespeare is disciplinary measure. That That's my origin story. How did it evolve awesome. from there? I started, so I, I uh, uh, read Macbeth, uh, and then I pretty quickly moved on... <laughs> I wish I I don't think I still have it in my in my bookshelves behind me uh for the for the listener I'm sitting in front of a massive wall of books um but I used to have a uh a, 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 I think I got it when I was like 7 or something like that and it was a you know complete works uh and it had those like 
they're not Gustav Dore, but they're like that kind of like a, a woodcut illustrations of each. Oh, play. yeah. 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 Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And I would I would flip through that to figure out which play I would want to read next. And I would usually base it on is there a ghost or a monster <laughs> in it? So I, I pretty quickly went on to Midsummer. Midsummer. Uh, and Tempest and Hamlet. Uh, and then I went to uh, Timon of Athens. Uh, because the illustration looked like there was some sort of like ghost in the woods or something. It was just time and like looking at the water. Uh, but I was like, oh, this must be some sort of uh, some sort of malevolent spirit. I was very disappointed in that one. Uh, wow. And like Titus and stuff like that. So I just kind of went down the the bloodiest uh, bloodiest ones I could find. Uh, one of the you, only seven year olds. When did you find Julius Caesar? Uh, pretty soon after that, yeah. Because I yeah, think I was going to say that's that's. that's like a... <laughs> If there's an illustrated version, I I'm can pretty much guess what what picture would be there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and how appealing that might be for you. <laughs> I was a big fan of stabbings as Oh my god. <laughs> there you go. Lamented. Have you ever seen there's like these they make these pencil holders that's like a bust of Julius Caesar. Yes. And <laughs> you have all the pencils like sticking out of his back. Oh my gosh, I think that that's is disturbing. <laughs> no, they're so funny. History comes along. We yeah. don't want to get you for your birthday, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but can you describe like specifically with Hamlet? Like mm. I know we said four full productions, like that's a lot. Um, <laughs> can you describe like what was different about um each of them, what the first one was, and then kind of, you know, what what drew you there originally and kind of what kept you coming back to do it again. So I know that's a lot, like to describe the different (laughs) Hamlets and then, you know, go through the different ones. They are interesting. I can tell you that much. Um, I, so yeah, so, so like kind of uh, uh, in concert with becoming obsessed with Shakespeare as a precocious kid actor, uh, Hamlet was like, you know, destined to be that role that I obsessed over because, uh, you get to talk to a skull right? and yeah. a ghost. A, <laughs> the skull and the ghost, and B, the stage time. Uh, oh. I think, uh, the truth comes out. That's yeah, funny. right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself, but I feel like when I was growing up, uh, Hamlet was still kind of talked about as like the role for the greatest actors of our day. Like I think the Mel Gibson Hamlet came out when I was probably like nine or something like that. The Brana Hamlet came out when I was 14, uh, which I was promptly obsessed with. Um, <laughs> the only actor to have given Hamlet more stage time than he has. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, uh, so, so like I was just kind of conditioned culturally to thirst for this role. This role seemed like uh, like the, the, the Everest of acting roles. And I also, you know, on top of reading Shakespeare's texts. I would read a lot of like scholarship uh, and stuff like that. So, and, and, you know, people always talk about Hamlet in these very vaulted and vaunted terms. Uh, so I just wanted it. I wanted it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it, that role in particular became kind of an obsession of mine, but I was also a kid, uh, <laughs> had no business playing it. Uh, so it wasn't. Well, I mean, until... the people who usually play Hamlet are a lot older than he Right? It really should be. Yeah, I so. I have seen some Hamlets with some bafflingly old <laughs> title <laughs> roles, uh, uh, and uh, I'm sure you guys get into this with uh, with 
other episodes too but you know the, the debate of is he 30 is he not 30 like all all that stuff um yeah well, I, I actually wrote a proposal where he's a teenager yeah it, it like, works so yeah I, well, I feel like there's arguments for both really both like yeah you know yeah um and when this is a, this is a tangent but weirdly when i uh when i played claudius that was the first production of hamlet that i was uh in mm-hmm. i was 20 i think 20 or 21 wow. uh so you know arguably way too young to be playing claudius but there right. was something about yeah. a young you know peer to hamlet like a super young brother of old hamlet uh that made it that much ickier and more understandable the rivalry that they have right that's uh, interesting yeah the, no it's the, like it's the, like the, any any drama where you know the the guy marries you know a 20 year old girl right? who's the same age as his daughter and yeah. that's like a whole whatever it's just this time it's flipped on its head exactly mm-hmm. just add some poison swords to it and you got yourself yeah. <laughs> um yeah so uh uh it was a role i always wanted to play um and I went to uh, uh, University of Arizona, which has a, a, a rep theater uh, kind of annexed into it. Uh, and that kind of serves as, or it, I have actually no idea if the, the school still works this way, because uh, I graduated a thousand years ago. But uh, at the time, it had this, uh, this like Lort D rep theater uh, that the university uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, ran its students through. Uh, and it was run very much like a, a rep theater. Uh, and so they kind of based the seasons on what, uh, what their acting pool is and, and what they uh, feel like will you know, make money and get revenue and stuff like that because the ticket sales are a, a primary chunk of their budget. Um, and so they'd never done Hamlet before, uh, but uh, even from, from freshman year in, it's, and it's one of those programs where you have to like audition to stay in uh, every year. Uh, but from freshman year on, uh, from, from my audition into the company, then like, they just knew that I was like this Shakespeare guy, uh, and, uh, was, was, had been studying this role for my whole life and, and was, was super into it. Um, and I did, uh, the, the Claudius that I did was my freshman year as well, but that was, that was just with a local production that wasn't associated with the, uh, with the university per se. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, around my sophomore year, uh, I had started to get kind of frustrated with the program and wondering if like, this is what I want to do. Do I want to stay in acting school? Um, do I, do I want to just like go to LA or to New York or something like that and just kind of make a, make a hack at it? Uh, and the, one of the professors, uh, actually pulled me aside and was like, I think you might want to stick around because we've been talking about something uh, that uh, you know you might enjoy uh, which the next year wound up being uh, them pre-casting me in the first production of Hamlet the the theater has ever done uh, because they the, this is how this is how the dean put it uh, or the, the president whoever whoever's in charge of the fine arts college I, I forget his title uh, <laughs> but head honcho of the fine arts program um, not, not the Dean of University of Arizona who did not know I was alive. Uh, uh, but he was like, we felt like we finally had uh, an actor with the chops to play Hamlet. Um, I feel like that mainly means wow. like a skinny white male with a deep voice. Uh, uh, because that was very much the like stereotypical Hamlet at the time. Yep. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I 
don't agree. I mean, it kind of still is. Yeah, it is, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, uh, I very much feel that, like, Hamlet is a great role because anyone can play it. Uh, but, you know, yeah. some, some people are a little more conservative in their casting choices. Right. We um, actually, our first guest on this podcast was Ashley Griffin. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so we had a great conversation with her about that. Yeah. Because um, she played Hamlet, yeah. Yeah. Um, As a woman. Yeah, and I remember growing up with, like, the uh, knowing about Sarah Bernhardt and stuff like that, and that being, like, you know, a novelty. People, even right. still in the 90s, were like, can you believe a woman played Hamlet? <laughs> uh, well, she must have been amazing. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so they they felt that I fit the the Hamlet that they were looking for, which I was very excited about. Uh, and, uh, started developing, uh, our interpretation of that, uh, particular production, um, from, from my junior year to present it my senior year. It wasn't like a thesis per se or anything like that. It, cause, cause again, they ran it like a rep theater company. It was just, that was going to be part of the season. Uh, but, uh, it was this really amazing opportunity to spend a lot of time with it and to work, uh, one-on-one -on -one with the director. Um, now I should say to, to answer part of your question, uh, what these Hamlets were like, the first Hamlet, the one where I was Claudius, that one was set in space, uh, and it was staged in a planetarium, uh, and the director, who is a, a dear friend of mine and is just one of the smartest people you'll ever meet, uh, uh, was like already thinking like 5,000 layers deep into Hamlet. And so she was envisioning Hamlet as a metaphor writ large for uh, 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 like Galilean astro astronomy or, or something like that to, to the extent of uh, uh, where Hamlet and Claudius represented divergent opinions of heliocentricity and geocentricity. Uh, mm -hmm. And she wanted to uh, make that's so walk. cool. Yeah, right. It it, it was that's very right. heady, uh, and it was like literally in a planetarium. So you know, not a lot of playing space. We were running in and out of, of aisles and stuff like that's that. So fun. But she used the the dome, the actual like giant dome, uh, for all these projections. And every time Claudius was uh, was on, uh, uh, you know, doing doing a thing, it was the. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, Claudius was geocentric, which was why he was wrong. Yeah. And he was uh, uh, heliocentric. So he was the sun. He was who should actually be the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she used all this imagery. And, and when, uh, when the ghost of King Hamlet showed up, he was this giant floating head in the sky. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, so that's where my Hamlet career has started was in space. And that's they, amazing. And you know, that's, everyone's example that they throw right. out of like the craziest possible <laughs> Hamlet. Like you base. could do Hamlet in space and we it had would still work. And we, already we had to that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they've gotten weirder ever since. Uh, uh, or oh, wow. More conceptual, <laughs> okay. I should say. Um, so yeah, so the, the second Hamlet were actually uh, played the title role, which was not full text, but it was pretty close to full text. Like all the Fortinbras stuff was gone. Uh, but most everything else was was still in there. Um, that was, uh, I guess you could say it was a an amalgam of Bedouin and like Vulcan iconography. Uh, so it was still very sci-fi, but also like this this weird uh, like Middle Eastern flavor to it. Um, 
there was a giant uh there was a giant muslim scrim uh at the in the apron like at the very foot of the stage and it was four uh triangular pieces that would basically work as like an iris and they would open up on different areas of the stage uh so they could expand to the full stage or they could just be like a tiny little pin spot so with somebody's cool. head oh that's really cool um, really there was a design cool. flaw though so it never fully closed and there was always just like a, a like a oh. little <laughs> oh, wow. stage uh as we referred to it um, <laughs> but it was a very cool uh uh a lot of cool imageries like giant head uh headgear and and halberds like these massive swords and stuff like that um so and like everybody weirdly appropriate now everyone was like wearing like face coverings and stuff like that so it was very you know when you when you took your mask off to speak to someone it was a very uh definitive move it meant something uh uh then after that uh so I, that was i graduated in 2004 moved to new york um did uh from 2004 to like present day I've, I've done more like workshops and readings of hamlet than i can count just like around a table or something like that or sometimes for an audience uh but the next full production i was in was in 2007 uh and that was um have you guys ever been to uh to dumbo to the antique carousel that's out there i'm not there's a beautiful antique sometimes you can i think you can see it actually when you're when you're on like the whatever trains go over the Brooklyn Bridge, you can like look down into Dumbo and see this like glass enclosure with an antique carousel. It's called Jane's Carousel. Uh, cool. And in 2007, it was being renovated. So it was in this enclosed workspace that shared a wall with St. Anne's. Uh, and St. Anne's was doing like some, I don't think it was like War Horse or something like that, but it was some war play. So you could just hear war all the time coming through the wall. Uh, but this that works in the background of Hamlet. It, it, yeah, it, it actually was kind of like an added bonus. It was like sound <laughs> design that we didn't free have sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Saint Anne's. Uh, but it was uh, so. There's a company called the Czechoslovak American Marionette Theater Company, uh, and they, um, as the as the name suggests, they have uh, you know they they do this this rotating rep of uh, of marionette theater, this you know traditional marionette theater uh, from from Eastern Europe, uh, and they're beautiful. They're like you know sometimes they can be like that little tiny guys, but sometimes they can be like three feet, four feet tall marionettes wow. made out of wood, just like hand carved, and gorgeous. Um, and they had. And done all I can think of right now is that scene from The Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not far yeah. off, uh, uh, not at all. Um, My mom was actually but, watching that last night. <laughs> Tis the season, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so they uh, uh, they had done a production of Hamlet like in the '90s, like the late '90s or something like that. And they wanted to bring it back, and they cast me as the actor Hamlet, who would carry the marionette that was Hamlet's inner thoughts, uh, and everyone basically had their public persona, which was their puppet. Uh, and their private persona, which was the human. And it was all staged on this antique carousel that was moving the whole time. Uh, and some of the soliloquies were turned into songs. Some of them were not. Uh, it was very strange. And it was also <laughs> in November. Uh, so it was very cold. 
so that was the second Hamlet third production. <laughs> and then the fourth oh. full production was Patrice's, uh, as she's uh, uh, probably uh, uh, told you guys all about. So it was just like full of multimedia and uh, 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 paranoia and surveillance state imagery and stuff like that. And it was all chopped up. The script was chopped up. Uh, and interpolated and also had like a lot of music involved and stuff like that. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> it, basically the, the, the space Vulcan Bedouin Hamlet has been the most normal <laughs> of it that I have been. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Wow. So I'm looking forward to whatever the next one is. I'm sure it'll be like, you know, set, yeah. as, uh, set as paramecia in a, in a, in a biology slide or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Okay, wait, now somebody has to do that. Yeah, please. I'm available. <laughs> Free ideas. Aren't we all? <laughs> I'm off book. Um, but what what's like different? I mean, that's obviously a lot of times, and you're saying you're willing to do it again, more than happy, it sounds like. <laughs> so what what keeps you from not feeling like I mean, obviously they're all very different, they sound like, but what keeps you from not feeling bored or bored of doing the same character? Like what is different about Hamlet that that maybe is different? from like doing another character four times yeah. and be wanting to do it again. <laughs> well, again, just the stage time is great. Uh, uh, who doesn't love that? Um, no, I think the thing uh, that I love about Hamlet is kind of the thing that I love about Shakespeare. Um, I have, if you could call it like an MO or something like that, the, the, the thing that I approach all Shakespeare with um, and I'm very like passionate about in particular about uh, is that I think Shakespeare is a is a very ironic driven playwright, irony driven playwright, uh, and I don't mean irony in like the detached sort of like above it all, you know. Oh my God, that's so ironic sort of way, but like in a in almost similar to like Chekhov, uh, like that feeling of. Uh, I'm having the worst day of my life and things are still going wrong and I just have to make jokes about it sort of way. Like yes. he very much processes tragedy through comedy. I think if he were pressed by like a, uh, 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 you know, a, a 21st century American Hollywood producer, uh, he would probably say, I write comedies because even his tragedies are incredibly comedic and yeah. dark and, and, and just funny. Yeah. Uh, I it's even I, like, it's like the SNL brand. Yeah. They're like, the whole world stinks, but we're going to laugh about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, I, you know, I think people, I've, I've written a, several plays about Shakespeare or Shakespearean uh, kind of adjacent things. Uh, and one of the things that I always come back to uh, with it is that, like, people, people forget that Shakespeare wrote for an audience of drunken, illiterate, uh, uh, like, <laughs> pretty much assholes who were just like, who would boo you off the stage if you started to get boring. Uh, it very much not the, the, you know, kind of airless antiseptic Shakespeare that a lot of people associate with these days. Like it was, it was entertainment for the masses. Uh, so it had to be funny and it had to be vulgar and it had to be slapstick, uh, even the tragedies. Um, and you know, uh, Hamlet's first two, not just one, but first two lines are puns. Like he is such a clown. Uh, and it is, you know, Hamlet in a lot of ways, I think, is is the mirror image of like a Coriolanus, which I've always felt like is a tragedy about a man with no sense of humor. Hamlet is a tragedy of a man who has too much of a sense of humor. 
Uh, and so he doesn't quite know how to take things seriously. Um, which is, again, not to say like you play Hamlet as someone with, for whom there are no stakes. Like everything is at stake. He's in misery. But he's processing it through irony and through jokes and sarcasm. Uh, and so I love, I love getting to explore that idea on this massive canvas. I, I, I tend to play Hamlet as a very funny person. Um, again, not like, not like aggressively or annoyingly so, but like just as someone who needs humor to process trauma. Uh, and uh, I think that that, the older you get, that changes for you. So it's fun to revisit that particular phenomenon every couple of years and be like, oh, what does that mean for me now? What is what does processing trauma mean for me uh, now that I've lived through a few more traumatic years on this earth? Uh, I, I, and that, I think that's a reason too why I feel, again, like Hamlet is a role for, for anybody because it's, uh, there's so much, uh, there's such a, there's so many colors used to paint this particular story that I think anyone uh, can bring not only themselves to it, but can, can, can kind of find universality in it. Um, and I think that's just really cool, particularly for a, for a story that's about ghosts and murder. It's a horror story. That's one of the things I love about horror too, is that horror is a very, uh, horror is a very grounding and all encompassing genre is a way to invite everybody to the campfire and be like what scares you as a biological entity uh uh that is vulnerable to disease and 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 puncture wounds like what scares us what unites us is that we're all just like these you know sentient bags of meat that don't know why we're alive and know that we're gonna die and have to walk around every day processing that information uh, and Hamlet literally has monologues just about that phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> holy, yeah. holy crap! I could die. Uh, what yeah. is that? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's my that's my long winded answer to that question. Um, so you just spoke about something that seems like is very constant in all of your interpretations of Hamlet. But mm. how does the character change? You know, with the different settings and productions, like are there specific moments that you remember that were completely different from one production to another? Yeah, ooh, that's a good question. Um, that's a very good question. I think one of my favorite uh, variables that I think has been different every time is, uh, you know, it's the great cliche, but uh, to be or not to be uh, is such an interesting nut to crack because it's so loaded and it's so familiar and it's so hoary and creaky to so many people i when i when, uh the the uh 2004 hamlet that i did in, in arizona uh at one point in the run uh you know uh, uh i'm on stage and i take a deep breath and I say, to be or not to be. And this woman in the front row leans to her husband and goes, I know this speech. Uh, and like, it's that kind of speech. Like it just, it, it's like a hit single and everyone wants to sing along. Yeah, yeah no, Ashley yeah. told us that she was like surprised. Like people were like- Citing it, like, it along with her, yeah. yeah. People singing uh, along at a musical. 
Yeah. And she's like, really oh, works. that's a thing that happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's, you know, that, so that makes it a particular pitfall too. Um, yeah. It can feel disposable and it can feel like this like tangent instead of this moment that's grounded in the context of the play. Um, I have only done it this way once and I still feel like it is the right way to do it. Um, you know, it, it, Everyone, everyone can like list the what is it seven soliloquies that uh, that Hamlet has, and to be or not to be of that batch is the only one that's actually not a soliloquy. He's not alone on stage. Ophelia is there. Uh, it's just most people tend to stage her as being like in the background reading or something like that, and Hamlet's dealing with the audience. In the two thousand four, in that same production, uh, we staged it so that. Uh, Ophelia's, you know, Polonius grabs Ophelia and is like, walk you here, read on this book, you know, he's, Hamlet's coming, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then I show up and I had very loud boots, and tromp, tromp, tromp. Uh, and uh, she hears me coming and panics, doesn't want to talk to me. And there was a, there was like a, a settee or a, a, you know, a love seat or something like that on stage. So she pretended to be asleep uh, instead of dealing with me. And so I did to be or not to be to her, to her sleeping body and to the audience as well. Uh, but it, it was so grounding and it was so, uh, it really brought something to, you know, obviously the, the sleeping imagery of that, uh, but also to just the, the, the sense and dynamic of saying that, uh, that text, that particular speech, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, to sleep perchance to dream. Yeah. That entire. Yeah. It's all uh, there. And then to have someone sleeping. Right. And not, and not just someone, wow. but ostensibly, you know, the love of your right. life. Who, you that's know. That's so for, cool. For me, that speech is very much, uh, you know, it's, yes, superficially, it's, it's, do you live or die? Do you exist or not exist? But, but uh, I, I think also it is, do I follow this path or this other path uh and the other path is living a life with ophelia and having a having you know having kids together having a having a, a future together um do i do i commit to this or do i commit to this other mission that will you know almost assuredly end in my death do i do the suicide mission or do i actually have a life uh and she's right there and like you know you want to almost apologize to her of like i'm sorry that we're in this position uh only for her then to wake up and you know be put in a position of having to reject you uh so it just like made it that much uh that much more uh alive and palpable and stuff like that um and i've so i've only done it that way that one production and i, I that felt like a really that, that felt like we kind of found something that I would love to explore again. But one of the other ways that things change, um, just kind of in general, is I, actually, I just wrote a, a, a play about this, so it's fresh in my mind, so forgive me. Uh, but uh, one of the things I love about Shakespeare, again, just in general, um, is, and this is an idea that I think Harold Bloom talks about, and I take Harold Bloom with massive grains of salt, but I, I feel like he's not necessarily wrong about this idea. Um, 
that one of the thing that like makes Shakespeare Shakespeare, you know, besides the the Eurocentric and kind of misogynist sort of uh, uh, context that has embraced him uh, uh, as the sine qua non of of literature, but uh, I think one of the reasons why he's a candidate for that, and one of the reasons why he is just really good uh, and deserving of uh, of accolades and and love, uh, is that he was kind of among the first writers to write self-aware characters, characters who talk to themselves and hear themselves as they're talking and change mid-speech. Uh, I love that about him. And you don't really find that in Marlowe. You don't really find mm-hmm. that in Johnson or Kidd or any any of his contemporaries. Uh, uh, one of the moments I always come back to is probably my in my favorite Hamlet soliloquy, the, the Rogan peasant slave, uh, where he, you know, he, just suddenly breaks down and oh villain villain blah 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 and then he says well this is most brave uh uh you know just literally commenting on what he just said uh and to be or not to be has this too uh of uh 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 that should be scanned yeah there's there's uh, that should be scanned and there's also uh, uh the uh uh there's the rub i think too is yeah. moment where it's like uh um you know, these moments of like saying these concepts out loud and then being like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that is, that is something, right? Uh, uh, and so every production ideally should be a dialogue with the audience, particularly in those, in those soliloquies. There's, uh, I think it was David Warner uh, had this anecdote of, uh, when he asks the audience, am I a coward? Uh, someone in the audience actually shouted out, yes! And he said that that was the best moment of his career because he had engaged the audience so much that they felt like they had to respond to him. Uh, and so it's, it, it, uh, it adds this living element to a very potentially creaky and stale experience of doing this play again and again and again and this role again and again and again is that you're always in dialogue with the audience and you're always uh you know actually in the moment with this living breathing crowd uh and trying to get answers from them like i i feel like to be or not to be should be played as genuine questions not as not as rhetoric not as an idea but like what do I do? Someone come up on stage and do this for me. I don't know what to do. Uh, and so that, that kind of vibe, which is present in, in all Shakespeare, it's not just Hamlet, but Hamlet is so like embracing that idea uh, uh, that uh, every production kind of can't help but be different uh, because you have to be having that conversation for the first time again with the audience. Wow. Um... No, it's just a lot to think about. It's really interesting. Thank you. Um, but like on that, doing it so many times, obviously like Hamlet is such a heavy, like intense role. And even if you're going to, I mean, mm-hmm. with the the adding the comedy also, because like you mentioned, you kind of are tapping into, well, I guess every actor is different, but if you choose to tap into your own traumatic experiences, every time you come back to it, or like what new things you've gained over the past couple of years since your last time, how does that affect your own psyche? Like just in terms of that actor and your, yourself as a person relationship, like to go through that again and yeah. again with different 
your different experiences. And it sounds like, I mean, maybe you don't, but if the way you act is tapping into your own experiences, what does that do to you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I'll bring up horror again, because I feel like horror uh, is a similar phenomenon. It is, it is a rehearsal of death and of trauma uh, and of, uh, you know, horrible things happening. Uh, and like my wife hates horror and, and, uh, I, you know, she doesn't like to live through those things on screen. Similar to like, I hate, I hate roller coasters. I physically do not like feeling in peril. There's just no entertainment whatsoever in that for me. Uh, so I avoid them like the plague. Uh, uh, but I find horror to be very- is a whole new meaning nowadays. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't avoid <laughs> it at all. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I avoid it like the plague should be avoided, uh, I should say. Um, but Much yeah, I, <laughs> I find like horror to be very cathartic and very purging. Um, and uh, I, I like that feeling of catharsis, of, uh, of, you know, just seeing the worst things imaginable and coming out the other side and, you know, sometimes getting to laugh at it, getting to compartmentalize it, getting to uh, shrink it down into uh, a more digestible uh, kind of, tidbit um and i for me i think acting is is kind of similar uh because because it is a it should be uh, a safe place to explore those things um i should for context i should say i am trained in very much a uh kind of outside in sort of classical theater approach i uh you know it was very stanislavski based it's it's you're not supposed to be like cutting yourself open and dump dumping your wounds afresh onto the stage every night because that's not a renewable resource. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. going to stop being, uh, it's going to stop, uh, uh, giving you that thing that you need. Um, so, so we were trained very much in ways to, uh, uh, to physically find them, um, to, to find physical gestures that can be very small. Uh, sometimes even just totally internal, but that uh, those gestures elicit those feelings in you. So you don't have to like dig deep and, you know, get hypnosis and find out that time that, uh, uh, you know, your your stepdad murdered your dad and, and oh God, you, you got to live through this every day. But it's more like, what what does it feel like to be afraid? What does it feel like to, uh, to be anxious? Uh, and to live through those feelings instead of living through those memories. Um, and in a way, then getting to experience those feelings uh, makes those feelings, when you do encounter them in your real life, less disorienting, less terrifying and confusing, stuff like that. Um, uh, uh, I, I think acting is really great uh, as, a, as a therapeutic uh, in, that, in that regard. Um, so like the, the biggest challenges for me doing Hamlet were much more physical than emotional because it is such a such a muscular play and it's so uh uh it's so active uh the cliche of hamlet is that it's just about a man talking to a skull and the olivier movie that i make fun of all the time it starts with a prologue of this is a tragedy about a man who cannot make up his mind and it's like hamlet jumps onto pirate ships and stabs people through curtains throws himself in a grave, like Hamlet's all over the place. It's such a manic, active 
uh, role. It's not boring. It's not uh, internal. Uh, so like it's it's physically exhausting. Uh, I had to for the for the the Arizona one. I had to give up caffeine uh, uh, entirely, which was a lot for me. Uh, and I had a half gallon jug of water on each wing that would wow. be empty by the end of it. Uh, cause it's, you know, this was in the desert also. So, uh, you gotta hydrate, but it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of action and text and, uh, movement. And, uh, I, I got laryngitis during that production. Um, cause it's a lot of shouting and talking and it actually wound up working for the best because when I get laryngitis, my voice just gets deeper. Wow. I lose my upper register. <laughs> so I, I just sounded like that much more Shakespearean. Uh, uh, but uh, so it, 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 it's a hard role to kind of manage your outside life around. You've kind of got to uh, not do as much other stuff to just make sure that your instrument can handle it because it's so virtuosic and, uh, and taxing. Um, that to me is, is the biggest challenge uh, for it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the older I get, it's also, uh, you know, energy can become, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but like I, energy is a, a problem, but like I'm at the age now where I can tell what it's going to be like when energy is a problem. <laughs> like I can make it to the end, but I'm, I'm way more tired than I used to be. So like my, my Hamlet when I was 22 was different than my Hamlet that I did with Patrice. Uh, when I was 34, uh, that Hamlet liked to sit down a lot more. Uh, <laughs> that Hamlet uh, likes to not have as many props. Uh, it's I my, like my 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 background as an actor is doing you know rep theater and being in dressing rooms with lots of older actors who are you know doing doing uh, the older actor roles. And it is very true that your your life cycle as an actor is like you want to be Hamlet so bad in your twenties, and then you start the older you getting being like I just want to have that one great scene, and then die, and then the rest of the time in the dressing room, the paycheck is the same, and I can just watch movies. Like I want to be Bankwell. I want to be like just give me that, and I will I will catch up on Netflix oh in the dressing gosh. room. It is great. Uh, <laughs> Because you do, you do start to tire her out. Yeah. So you mentioned Harold Bloom earlier, and we actually, um, this whole podcast is based on a discussion that we had in a class that we're taking called Shakespeare Bible and Political Thought. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, I'm yeah. very sad that it's over. Oh, yeah. We just had our last class last week. Um, but we were watching an interview with Harold Bloom, and he, basically said, you know, Hamlet is interesting because he has these two contradictory facets. He's, he's very inward, but he's also very theatrical. And so we were discussing all of that. And Elisheva and I looked at each other and we're like, that's not a contradiction. That's just yeah. being an actor. Right. And like the rest of our class are not, most of the rest of our class are not performers. Hmm. So, you know, that premise was still intact until we brought it up yeah and then we kind of just were like okay there's this divide between you know the academic study of Shakespeare and the, and the performative study of Shakespeare um so we're just curious like what do those 
two aspects of Hamlet's personality. How how do you see them? And how have they kind of manifested themselves in your many different portrayals of Hamlet's character? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. And it's so true. I, in fact, one of the things that oh, just grinds my gears about Harold Bloom uh, is that he said that Falstaff, he's obsessed with Falstaff, as I'm sure you know. Uh, uh, he sure loved Falstaff. Uh, but uh, one of the things that he has said about Falstaff is that like, uh, no actor can do him justice. And like, Falstaff is a, is a character in a play. Like he is for actors, but Bloom very much is that academic mindset that you're describing, uh, which approaches Shakespeare as, as text and not as, you know, the instruction manual for a person to put on a play. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, people approach Hamlet that same way. Uh, and that's fascinating to me because the thing that makes Hamlet such a great character uh, and such a great entertainment as a play is that he does have those two sides. Like he's a complex, and, and, and I, I, I should say like no more complex than you or I or anybody else we meet. He's a very much a realistically complex person. Uh, and I, you know, in, in that same vein of, I kind of interpret Hamlet uh, through the same lens that I interpret times that I've played Touchstone or, or other clowns, uh, uh, is that he is very much a performer. And how could he not be? He's a prince, so he has, you know, had uh, royalty lessons his whole life. He's been groomed to be a head of state. And also, he was raised by clowns. Like, he was raised by Yorick. Uh, uh, those were his buddies. He gets into the grave and, and you know, shoots, shoots the breeze with the, with the grave diggers. He's comfortable with clowns and clowning and jokes and sense of humor and stuff like that. His first few lines with Horatio are, are jokes. Uh, uh, like he, he is very much a performative spirit. Uh, right, and that's also like the only tool he has right. to figure out the truth in all of this yeah. is, is, you know, to perform either pretending to be loyal to someone or, yeah. or you know, asking questions and, and trying to elicit the truth from the other person or, you know, pretending that he's mad the whole play. Right, which to me is, uh, the, the antic disposition is his like greatest acknowledgement of the fact, the, the way I interpret the antic disposition is, uh, uh, you know, he sees the ghost, he flies off the handle, his, his scene with, uh, 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 God, now I'm forgetting, is it Bernardo or Marcellus? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's been a while. I think it's both of them, actually. Oh, is it both of them? Good, okay. Yeah, and Horatio. Right. Uh, and Horatio, like just like running around and oh, uh, worthy pioneer and, and yeah. you know, like he's going nuts. Uh, and then he says, I'm going to put on the antic disposition. I think because he realizes how much of a liability he is because he just saw the display he just went through. He is going a mile a minute and he's really freaked out. And so he's like, okay, the only way I can survive in this court of intrigue is I have to stay crazy all the time. Cause I know the moment I'm going to see Claudius, I'm going to lose my, my, uh, <laughs> I keep trying not to curse. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to lose my composure. Uh, the minute I see Claudius. Uh, uh, so the only way to, uh, to make that not a, 
big moment in the court is to make a big moment out of everything and to just be crazy all the time because there's safety in that. Now people will be like, oh, something's weird with him instead of why did he just try and kill Claudius? Uh, so I, I feel like he knows the, the material from which he's made. He knows that he is this performative energy. Um, and I mean, look, look at the diametric opposite of Hamlet. Look at like The Crown. That show is all about performance. That show is all about public performance and how do you put the best face forward? Like you cannot be a royal without living your life constantly on stage. So funny because our professor in that class would always you reference so the crown, mad. and I'd be annoyed <laughs> like because you guys have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I've on my list. I just haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> I've seen like two episodes, so uh, so don't feel bad. Uh, but I, from what I know about the crown, is it's very slow and it's very you know just like uh, ponderous, and even so, that's like the exact opposite of energy of Hamlet. But even that is just all about like we have to act a certain way. Ophelia's whole trajectory starts with you have to act a certain way and Hamlet has to act a certain way. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't think Hamlet has a choice but to be that dichotomy personified, to have his performance and to have his truth, his, his internal workings that is not safe to share with anybody, even before the questions of revenge and regicide uh, and uncle side uh, uh, come into play. Like, it's just not safe because it would be a scandal. Right. And to a certain extent, I mean, we all have that, obviously, mm -hmm. probably to a much lesser degree because right. most of us don't have to worry about killing our uncle and king and yeah. stepfather. <laughs> yeah. All by killing one person. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we all have a certain internal. Yeah something that we keep to ourselves and, and something else that we project yeah. to the to the outside world. And again, I think that's really the essence of, of being an actor is just tapping into the way that you do that in real life and just applying it to yeah. Yeah. the circumstances that are given to you in a script. Exactly. The, the joke is always that like actors are really good at lying for a living. And, you know, it's, I have said that joke too, because it's, it's funny, but uh, it's actually but it's really the opposite. Yeah. Your, you, your job is to tell the truth with fictional circumstances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, that, that <laughs> good is, old Meisner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, and yeah, I think, you know, I, uh, I, I've said this already, uh, but I, I just to reiterate it, like it, the, that common ground between Hamlet and horror is that we are the only mm -hmm. species that we know of that, that knows it's going to die, that every individual knows it's going to die. And that's where the knowledge ends. Like we have no idea. We know so much and yet we have no idea what happens in that undiscovered country. And so exactly as you say, like we all walk around with that knowledge and we have learned through socialization and through education to you know compartmentalize it and, and not think about it all the time but it affects everything we do <laughs> it's that knowledge of like i i could die what what does that mean anyway should i go get coffee like it, like it is such a overhanging thing um that you know hamlet just kind of uh wraps up in this revenge tragedy 
to be like, all right, we're, we're scared of our own mortality. Well, what if you got a message from your just dead dad who said you have to go on a suicide mission? Like, what do you do? Uh, I love that. And it kind of like, I don't know. I always feel like that's kind of like in terms of the experience of going to see a play, like you kind of enter and you're like, you're in it and then you have, and then you, it's over and the lights turn on and you're like, okay, like what should we do now? Yeah. You know, but, but it's like taking that. Yeah. And it kind of just like forces you to, you know, realize things are a different perspective and then you have to emerge cause that's life. Um, but hopefully you take something with yeah. you, but in terms of, it seems like you agree, but, um, Hamlet's assessment about the purpose of theater, um, you know, holding the mirror up to nature. Do you, would you say you agree with mm -hmm. that? I do. I think that is the most accurate mission statement of the actor, uh, certainly of its time. But, you know, it's 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 hard to beat it as far as just like kind of saying it all. Um, you know, even even the like more specific bits of like there are uh, there are some people who will, you know, get a laugh by acting, you know, super big but it's enough to make the judicious grieve. Like getting a laugh is not the most important thing, uh, uh, which you know might sound contradictory to, to the idea of Shakespeare as, as a comedian, but it, the best comedians know when, when to play it straight and when to not. And you know, some, someone who's hammy, uh, pun intended, uh, is, is not doing it right, even though they're getting a laugh. Um, you know, even ideas like that, I think are, are so important to internalize. Uh, uh, that, you know, you're, you're there to show the audience something, not to necessarily just get feedback from them. Uh, and yeah, the whole, the whole idea of, uh, it all comes down to holding the mirror up to nature, to, to showing as best as our faculties allow, uh, real life on stage. Because real life is very entertaining and it's very messy and weird and absurd. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget that. I think a lot of people try and show real life as this like idealized version of it, this anesthetized version of it, uh, an antiseptic sort of like, oh, thee and thou. No, it's it's farts and burps and, and all sorts of undignified, silly things uh, that have to be done at the right place at the right time. <laughs> it's, it's very loosey-goose and very structured at the same time. And that's, that, you know, speaking of dualities, like when you're an actor, that's the sort of stuff that you're constantly having to balance of, how do I remember my lines and my blocking, but also how do I live in the moment and how do I make this organic and how do I make this fun and maybe discover some new things in the moment? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a high wire. I've been wondering this for most of the interview. I'm just curious. Do you have the whole play memorized or at least, you know, Hamlet's lines by now? Pro <laughs> maybe not the whole play. I... I, uh, here's, here's a, uh, uh, a tangent of an answer. I was raised on the Simpsons and I recently started rewatching some old episodes of the Simpsons. And like, I knew every line, like a half second before they were said, I couldn't have like said it. I couldn't like repeat the whole episode in a vacuum, but like just the rhythm and the wow. melody of everything. I could anticipate before it would happen because I saw it so many times and I, I, I was so familiar with the text. And I feel like Hamlet is probably pretty similar to me. Like I, I 
could do a karaoke. If somebody gave you a cue, you would. Yeah, I, I, I could do Hamlet karaoke <laughs> pretty easily. Uh, uh, the soliloquies, I think I still wow. mostly know. Um, and at least the scenes that like I know Hamlet uh, had to like wait in the wings for, uh, those I know pretty well. There are some scenes where, like the, the uh, Claudius Laertes scheming scene, I don't know that scene. Uh, Chilling in the dressing well, room. Like, I, that's when I was going to the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, which and that's a fun bit of uh, 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 a. Like the one time you have a break. Yeah, um, you can watch over the course of Shakespeare's life uh, how he wrote specifically for Burbage, but for his lead actors in general, because like Richard the Third, his first real stab at giving a, a, a like a meaty title role to an actor is so lopsided and there's so few chances to take a break or to, to, you know, get some water or something like that. So you just know he got criticism from Burbage or whoever was playing it of like, you've got to give me some Just give me one scene. Yeah. So Hamlet actually like has some really good moments of like, uh, okay, we're going to deal with Ophelia now. Uh, let's, let's give Hamlet a whole act to just kind of chill. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's actually yeah. really nice. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so thank, thank you so, so much. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about where we can find you on the internet and sure. uh, how some of our listeners can find out more about you, some of the projects that you're working on? Uh, yeah, I've got a, a horribly out-of-date website that I should update, uh, which is just natcassidy.com. Um, that is current as of... I think a year ago. So if you want to find out everything I've done up until 2019, Just skip uh, over 2020. There's, there's a good repository. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one needs to talk about that. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, am on, I guess I'm on less social media than I used to be. I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> I don't want to be, but I still am. Uh, and I'm just very loud and angry on Twitter. So if you want that energy in your life, uh, I'm at, at Nat Cassidy on Twitter and I'm at Catnacity on Instagram because somebody That's took the worst. my name. Uh, yeah, I and they don't even use it. Like it's not even an active account. Uh, oh, uh, that's oh, get me started. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm there. Um, and yeah, I, I should update my website soon because I've got some some new books cool. coming out, and so I'm I'll be promoting those. Uh, so so if you really want that in your face, uh, uh, sign up for the mailing list or whatever is is on that website. I should make sure you can sign up for my mailing list <laughs> on my website. Uh, I'm overhearing the things I'm saying and having very organic reactions, just like she's doing right now. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks. My pleasure. This podcast was created by Sarit Pearl and Ellie Shava Hirsch. It is hosted by Sarit Pearl and Ellie Shava Hirsch. It is edited by Sarit Pearl. It is produced by Ellie Shava Hirsch. The cover art is by Sarit Pearl and the music is by Julius H. on Pixabay. Thanks so much for listening.